Welcome from Tiffin Baptist Church. We hope you enjoy this message. Well, we are going to talk about a subject that everybody loves to talk about, and that is money. If you have been reading your scripture, and if you've been remembering to bring a copy of the scriptures, we are going to be in James chapter 5 in the first several verses, 1 through 6. We actually have um, this one. I think we've got four more sections in James, and then we will be done with the book of James. We've went entirely through beginning to end, uh, through all of the book of James. So I hope it's blessing you. It's blessing me. It's making me change how I feel about uh, some of the things that I do in my life. And um, so today we talk on money. Money. And the title of my sermon is not to steal from the advertising slogan of, what is it, Capital One? What's in your wallet? Not to steal from that, but I think we are asked today to really take and examine uh, how we handle money and how we deal with money in our lives. So I thought would it, it would be easy if we just pulled out all our cash and just dumped it in the offering plate today, wouldn't, wouldn't that be something? <laughs> Just pull all the money out of your pocket and say, all right, I'll just put it all on the offering plate, that's, and I have nothing in my wallet, and then we'll, then we'll start preaching. But I thought, that, that's probably not the way to handle that. I will, uh, I will say this. Um, we need to hear this. We need to hear what God has written for us today, and I'll, I'll tell you why. Church today has a bad rap of just wanting money. And I, you're probably thinking, nah, not Tiffin. Well, unfortunately, Tiffin Baptist gets lumped in the same category as every other church in the world. Sorry. You may be some small church sitting out here off of O that people can miss when they drive by, but unfortunately, you get lumped into the same category as any other church in America, and they just put you all in one big breadbasket. And... Churches today need to pay attention how they handle their money. Okay, so I don't, I don't have to go through and give you example after example after example of churches today who, in my opinion, are probably not good stewards with God's money. But I will tell you this, there are churches that have multi-million dollar facilities, big, huge buildings, massive churches, running millions of dollars through their churches, paying their pastors six and seven figures, and they're going to have to answer for that. Now, I will tell you, there are both sides of that scale. There are pastors who have multi-million dollar ministries that are driving 12-year-old Fords and buying their clothes and their watch at Walmart. There are pastors that exist like that. There are also pastors that exist who are running a billion-dollar ministry and living in a six-million-dollar house or a ten-million-dollar piece of property. I could give you names, but I don't need to give you names, right? Like Kenneth Copeland or Joel Olstein. all right? And then I could give you names of some ministers who have run million-dollar ministries but stayed humble in their livings, like Billy Graham or Rick Warren. So I will tell you there are pastors who get it right, 
and there are pastors who get it wrong. But the problem is, does the media ever talk about the pastors who get it right? No. They just talk about the pastors that get it wrong. So then Tiffin Baptist gets lumped into that category as a place that they just want your wallet. I will say this. We need to listen to what God has to tell us today. How we handle our money. So, since the beginning of the Bible, people have had to give to God. Obviously, their selves and their time. But before there was money, they were picking out choice animals. That cost them something as a sacrifice. And so, since the beginning of the Bible, we have pulled things out of our pocket and put them in God's hands. Now, it may not be a choice lamb or cow or the first fruits of the crop like it was in Genesis, and it may be out of our wallets. But it hasn't really changed. Jesus taught on money a lot. I didn't realize how much Jesus talked about cash. I didn't until I studied for this. So out of Jesus' 40 parables, 20 of them are on money. 20 of them. Half of them. And out of the remaining, the remainders of 20, he, he mentions money. Like the prodigal son isn't about money, but it does mention the prodigal son blew his money. You get what I'm saying? Like the rich man and Lazarus, that story is not about what you do with your money, but it, does, it makes us think about how we treat our money. And I was, I was amazed. Here, I, I wrote them down. I mean, I did the study. Uh, half of you like my new glasses? I do. Yeah, they cost me $6. That is not a six. Yeah, okay. All right, so back to it. Jesus taught on money. Um, he taught on your money should support the temple or the Lord's work. You should pay your taxes. He talked about how you should do that with your money. Be generous to the poor and needy. Support missions. Support ministry. Support your family. Uh, be a good steward. Um, be a good steward and pay people fairly. Don't depend on it. Don't hoard it. Don't use it to manipulate people or get power over others. And each one of these... I've, I've got citations that we could go through. Well, here's the deal. Evil leaves a money trail. It does. I mean, I just had a conversation with my wife yesterday about how our evil actions will leave a money trail. She's got a friend of hers who is currently having troubles in her marriage and you know how she figured out that her husband's acting like an idiot? Receipts on the credit card. Evil leaves a money trail. <clears throat> and this is exactly what James says to us today. So last week I talked about plans, right? And in the beginning of those plans, he says, we're going to go here and make money and do this or do that. And then right into that, right after that, he says, well, let's have a little conversation about money. About money. So I, I, I threw some questions down because it was good for me to think about this. And maybe you can just think about it. Who's the wealthiest person you know that actually knows your name? 
right? You can't just say, oh, I Googled so-and-so and, yeah, Bill Gates, the wealthiest person I know. You don't know Bill Gates. But what I'm saying is, who's the richest person you know that actually knows your name? All right, you thinking of somebody? You got somebody in your head? You're like, I don't know any rich people. Well, <laughs> then think of the richest person that you know and, all right. And so my next question is, are they a Christian? Like, who's the richest person you know, and are they a Christian? And how do you know that? You see what I mean? Your faith and your wallet are a trail. So I, I wrote down, I wrote down the three wealthiest people I know. The three. I'm not going to give you their names, but I am going to tell you this. One is my neighbor. One's my neighbor, multi-millionaire. Uh, sold his business for, I think, $8 million. And he's sitting on that. One's my neighbor. Two, uh, the other two, uh, one uh, is a guy that I teach his kids at Fairgrove, multi-millionaire, uh, has a business that probably nets two million a year. The other one is a guy that uh, I went to church with a long time ago, owns a business that he just sold for, I think, four or five million. Two of the three that I just mentioned are Christians. And you know how I know it? Because of how they spend their money. Here's the sad thing. Here's the thing that really made me think about this. Two of the three are Christians, and they live in half-million-dollar houses. Now, I'm not, okay, so you're not like, hey, they made money. They can have a nice house. Don't, don't, don't go down that trail. Just listen to me. Two of the three are Christians, and they live in half-million-dollar houses. The one that's not lives in a house like mine, $150,000 house. People notice that stuff. They do, as much as you hate to say it. You walk around and say you're a Christian, they're going to see what you spend your money on. That's exactly what they're going to do. And when I have my unsaved, lost neighbor living in a very humble house, and, my, and they're good guys. My, my good Christian friends living in half-million-dollar estates, people notice. And they start to make assumptions about what do Christians do and how do they handle their money. So James writes us a little something here. He writes us a little something. And before I, before I, I, I go, it's okay to have financial goals. Me and my wife have financial goals. It's good to be debt-free. It's good to pay your house off. It's good to budget what you can afford and what you can't afford. Those are smart things. I mean, I, I'm looking forward to the day I'm debt-free, but I just don't know if it's ever going to get here. I just don't know if I'm ever going to be debt-free. All right, I got one more question I want you to think about. Is it up here? Sure is. It's my last question. If a billionaire, millionaire, I mean fill in the blank, if somebody came up to you and asked you this question, says, I want to give you all the money that you would ever want or need, and I'm going to write you a check for it right now, how would you respond to that question? Would you start running numbers in your head? Like would you say, a million ought to cover it, that ought to pay off my house, get me and my wife a, a different car? put a little nest egg back for the kids in college? I mean, is that, would that be your response? You know, I, we'd have a little bit back for maybe a, a little piece of property on the lake, nothing fancy. 
maybe a boat? Or would you say, actually, we're good. Thank you, though. Is that what you'd say? Would you say, uh, I appreciate it, but I'm, I'm, I'm doing okay? See, here's the deal. A people, a lot of time, will ask me this question. If you won the lottery, you ever been asked this question? If you won the lottery, what would you do? You know, like, and then people start rattling off. Man, I'd pay my house off. I'd buy this person a house. I'd buy that person a house. And you just start thinking, man, if money was just raining on me, what would I do with it? And here's the deal. We Christians, if we're not careful, we will secretly wish for that kind of life. And James says, you don't need to. You don't need to wish for it. You just need to understand what contentment is. And so James goes into this and he hammers, he hammers the rich people. That's what he does. But I don't, I don't want you to think that James is just going through this section, just hammering the wealthy. Because remember, God knew when he had James pen this letter that we would be in Tiffin Baptist today reading it. So it must have something for us, right? It must have something for us. You're probably sitting there thinking, money don't rain down on me. Then there must be something that you can get out of this. Because money doesn't rain down on me and my wife either. But I got something out of this. And I'll share it with you today. Here's three things I'm going to cover today. Three things. How you earn your money matters to God. How you earn your money matters to God. Secondly, how you spend your money or what you spend your money on matters to God. Thirdly, you're going to be held accountable to number one and number two. That's what I got out of this passage. That's what I'm going to share with you guys. So, we, I'd better get a word of prayer in before I get going too far. Let's do that. God, this morning, first of all, God, your word... Um, Your word sometimes takes off the kid gloves and smacks us around. And God, we, we say thank you for that. God, in the times that we sit here and we listen to your word and it reveals things about ourselves, we appreciate the uncomfortableness that it creates and we, we, we appreciate the, the repentance that it spurs in us. God, I ask this morning that your word continue to do what it's meant to do. God, I ask that you reveal more of who you are through this scripture today. God, I also ask that you reveal something about ourselves. God, we appreciate it, and we don't want to take it for granted. Thank you for the people that have come today and worshiped together. God bless this time that we have together. We love you so much. We pray these in your son Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, if you've got a copy of the scriptures, let us read what we're going to study today. James chapter 5, 1 through 6. Come now, you rich people, weep and wail over the miseries that are coming on you. Your wealth has rotted and your clothes are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded. And their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. 
you have stored up treasure in the last days. Look, the pay that you withheld from the workers who mowed your fields cries out, and the outcry of the harvesters has reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived luxuriously on the earth and have indulged yourselves. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned, you have murdered the righteous who does not resist you. Wow. All right, so the first thing I noticed when I was reading this is James doesn't start it out like he always starts it out, with a nice friendly phrase of brothers and sisters. He just starts it right out, swinging with left and right. Listen up, you rich people. I, want, I remind you, there's something for us to get out of here. He opens it up a little unlikely. And he starts it off with the phrase, weep and, weep and wail over the ministries that are, or the miseries that are coming upon you. So here's what, here's what I took out of verse 1. You can take it with me or not. God wants me to get serious about my money. Instead of not giving it thought, God wants me to get serious about it. Get serious about my money. So here's what I thought of, and this came up, and because I've got an immature mind, I thought of one of my favorite Christmas movies, A Christmas Carol. There's a dude in there that's all about money, right? Ebenezer Scrooge. How many times did Ebenezer Scrooge get warned about his money? How many times? What, three, four? Should we just watch it? <laughs> well, we know he got visited by three ghosts, right? Yeah, past, present, future. We know that three. But before they ever came, his old buddy, right, Marley, he shows up and he warns them. But if you watch the, if you watch the movie, oh, man, we have a wasp in here. Do you remember the sermon on things I really fear? <laughs> Derek, that's all you. <laughs> There's probably not going to be any sermon today. Okay. <laughs> what was I talking about? Oh, Ebenezer. Okay, so four times if you were like asking somebody, but... Realize this, if you watch that movie, everybody he bumps into says something to him about his relationship to not only them, but his pocketbook. Like there's the orphanage that asks him to donate. You remember that? And he looks at him and says, no. And they beg and plead with him to donate. Then there's Bob Cratchit that says, can I have a day off? Can I have an extra day off? And he goes, you're picking my pocket. There's Bob Cratchit. There's his family that comes over and invites him for dinner, and he says, I'm too busy working to come over for dinner. It's not just four times. It's all through the movie that Ebenezer Scrooge is asked to give a heads up as to how he spends his money. But here's what, here's what Charles Dickens misses. 
is when Ebenezer Scrooge finally figures it out. He's really only concerned about making people happy in the end, right? Just want to make sure that I make everybody happy. Let me go and let me grease everybody's palms that I can possibly grease. Let me go ahead and take care of Bob Cratchit, take care of my family, go ahead and give money to the poor. Let me do all this so I can make people happy. And he misses the important point, and it's this. You see, James says it right here. How you spend your money, God is watching. God's watching. And it will affect the people that we live with, but ultimately, your relationship and your wallet and with God, he's watching. That's what Charles Dickens misses, is we get impressed upon us by the Holy Ghost, not three ghosts from a story on what to do with our money, and sometimes we just ignore it. We should get serious about our money. Verses 2 and 3. Well, I'm going to ask you this question. What are you saving your money for? What are you saving your money for? I'll read it again. Your wealth has rotted and your clothes are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded and corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You've stored up treasures in the last days. I call this hoarding. You ever watch that show Hoarders? Anybody ever watch it? You, you think to yourself, how do they ever get to that place? I remember helping clean a, a lady's house out one time and she was a hoarder. Her husband had died, and since her husband had died, she just never threw anything out, anything. We opened up the closet one time, and it was completely full. Like, you opened it up, and it was like a wall of stuff. The majority of it were latch hooks. Okay, so do you know, the old people know what latch hooks are, right? The young people are like, huh? Well, don't worry about it. But the whole closet was full, was full of latch hooks. And she's like, you want one of those? So I was like, okay. So I took one home to my kids, and they were like, this thing's amazing. And they, they did a latch hook for what, like a week or two? Yeah, they were just sitting there on the floor. To, and then her living room was a pathway of paperback books. They were stacked about this high, and you could only walk through her living room. There was one pathway from the hallway to the kitchen, and everything else was just stacked with books and magazines. I get that vision or that picture with people's money, that it's, they're just stacking it up. Okay, so here's what I did when I thought, because saving money is not a bad idea. Saving money is a good idea. So I was, I watch cartoons. I'm, I'm, I'm proud of that, I watch cartoons. So one of, one of the things I watched when we were first married was a show called Animaniacs. And on Animaniacs, they, always had, they had this little short clip where it says, now it's time for another good idea, bad idea. And they were stupid. But that's what kind of popped in my head is, you know, good idea, save your money. Bad idea, save your money greedily. And, and so I, I, I'm just going to go through this, you know, like good idea, bad idea from my cartoon days, you know. Good idea, do your own yard work. Bad idea, do your own dental work. That was one of the cartoons I remember. Uh, good idea. It's almost Easter. Good idea. Find an Easter egg on Easter. Bad idea. Find an Easter egg on Christmas. That's usually what happens when we would hide them outside. I'd hit them with a mower, and I'm like, well, there's another Easter egg we didn't get. So here I, here I am, saving. Good ideas, bad ideas. Here's good ideas on saving. 1 Timothy 5.8. Now, if anyone does not provide for his own relatives, and especially his own household, he's denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. 
Good idea. Support your family. Save your money and take care of your family. Good idea. Good idea. And I tell you, Luke 16, 9, and I tell you, make friends for yourself by the means of the unrighteous money so that when it fails, they may come to you in eternal dwellings. Good idea. Save your money and win the lost. Good idea. 1 John 3, 16 through 18. This is how we have come to know love, that he laid down his life for us. We should also lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has this world's goods and sees his brother in need but shuts off his compassion from him, how can God's love reside in him? Good idea. Provide for the needy. Save your money. Good idea. Acts 4, 36 through 37. Joseph, a Levite by birth, whom apostles gave the name Barnabas, is translated son of encouragement, sold a field that he owned, brought the money, and laid it at the apostles' feet. Good idea. Support the church. It's good to save your money. God's not against you having money. Some of the biggest names in the Bible were filthy, stinking rich. Abraham. Job. All of Abraham's descendants. Jacob. Isaac. One of the greatest kings in Israel's history. Right? King Solomon. How about the dudes that buried Jesus? They were rich. Joseph of Arimathea had a rich man's tomb. Zacchaeus, the guy that helped him, he was rich. The people that went around with Paul, a couple of them were rich. God's not against you having money. God is against when money becomes your God. Bad idea. Piling up your money like Scrooge. This whole part right here reminds me of the story in Luke 12. I'm going to read it to you. Because Jesus doesn't see your money the way you see your money. Luke 12, 13 through 21. Someone from the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide my inheritance with me. Jesus said, Friend, who appointed me judge or arbitrator over you? Then he told him, watch out, be on guard against all greed, because one's life is not in abundance of his possessions. Then he told him a parable. You know this parable. A rich man's land was very productive. He thought to himself, what should I do, since I don't have anywhere to store my crops? I will do this, he said. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Store all my grain and all my goods there. Then I'll say to myself, you have many goods stored up for many years. Take it easy. Eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. But God said to him, You fool. You dummy. You idiot. This very night, your life is demanded of you, and the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? That's how it will be with somebody who stores up treasure for themselves and is not rich with God. See, Ebenezer Scrooge was more worried about what his money did with other people, and he didn't give much thought to his relationship with God. I kind of rephrased what James says here in 2 and 3. What we look around and say as a noteworthy accomplishment, like I own this, I own this, I have this much, my paycheck's this much, God says if that's all that is to you, then it's nothing but a pile of trash full of bug-eaten clothes, rotten food, and worthless jewelry. God just doesn't value money like we do. God's response in all this is, is when we show up in heaven, 
If we're not his kids, all he has to do is pull out the receipts. You get that? If we show up in heaven and we say, we're, child of, we're, we're your kids, all he has to do is pull the receipts out. Because evil has a money trail. I say this to you guys today. If you are God's kids, what you do with your matter, what you do with your money matters. It matters. You know, all right, I'm, I'm going to chase this one. It popped in my head. There is a popular Christian advisor on money. And he says every Christian should retire a millionaire. This dude's popular. Like, we ran his program back at Spring Hill and had people come to it and figure out how to budget their money. He's got some great things to say, but the one thing that he says that I wholeheartedly disagree with is he says every Christian in America should be able to retire a millionaire. Bullcrap on that. If that's your goal, is to when you are whatever, whenever that day comes, 45, 50, 55, 60, 65, whenever that day rolls around and you're sitting on a fat pile of cash and you're like, look at what I've done, you are Luke 12. You're a person that just says, look at everything I've stored up for myself. I'm going to eat, I'm going to drink, and I'm going to take it easy. I disagree with him on millionaire Christians retiring and that be their only goal. I have told my wife and she laughs and agrees. I say, Alicia, we will never be millionaires. And she laughs and she goes, I know, because you give our money away all the time. That's what it's for. That's what it's for. We're down in Fort Worth. I think God just made me stupid this way. I really do. I just think he made me dumb. But we're down in Fort Worth, and there in Chick-fil-A restaurant, there's a deaf guy going around table to table to table in Chick-fil-A asking somebody to buy him a meal. Asking people to buy him a meal. And I ignored him. I mean, he didn't come and ask me, but I saw exactly what he was doing, and I ignored him. And I had my meal, and I sat down with the kids and my wife and started eating. And then I was like, oh, I need another Chick-fil-A sauce. So I hop up, and I, and I ran right into him. And he asked for money. And I told him no. But then I stopped. This is God. This isn't me. This isn't me thinking I'm a great person. This is God getting inside my head and getting inside my heart and saying, quit being an absolute idiot. Quit being a fool. And I stopped and I said, are you hungry? And he said, yeah. So I said, do you want a sandwich? And he said, yeah. So I walk up, I order him a meal, I give it to him. He gives me a hug and he walks out. And everybody in the restaurant, you know what they're thinking? You just got scammed, sucker. Everybody in the restaurant, I guarantee you, everybody in the restaurant's looking at me thinking, you just got scammed, fool. And you know what I say? He scammed me out of a meal, big deal. If he walks out to his car and he's got 50 Chick-fil-A meals out there, I, I don't care. 
your money is to bless people. And you ain't got much time to do it. You don't have a whole lot of time. Okay, so if you're a millionaire retirement plan, let me ask you this question. If God can make you poor, then why are you rich? Right? God can make you poor. He can bring you right down to the ground and you got nothing to your name. Well, if he hasn't done that, then why are you rich? Why do you still have money? Our money isn't something that we've accomplished. Okay, I've, chased, I've been chasing this rabbit a long time. Let's move on. All right, verse 4. I'm probably going to make up for the short sermon I had last week. I told Brian that. I'm going to try not to. Let's keep going. Verse 4. Verse 4. How you make your money matters. Good idea. Good idea. Work hard. Man, does, does everybody need to hear this? Work. Just four-letter word today, right? Just work. It's biblical. 2 Thessalonians 3.10. In fact, when we were with you, this is what we commanded. If anyone isn't willing to work, he should not eat. Work hard. That's a good idea. Good idea. Pay a fair price for something. We should not go through life trying to just get free stuff. We also shouldn't overpay. Like we shouldn't get ripped off. So in Matthew 20, Jesus gives this parable of day laborers that he hires. And you know what he says to every one of them? I'm going to hire you for this amount of money, which was a fair wage. So Jesus uses as an example in his parable, pay people fair. Don't rip them off. I've got a, I've got a pastor friend of mine. This boils my blood when he does this. Everywhere he goes, he plays his pastor card to see if he can get something less or free. Everywhere he goes. You give a discount for pastors? Can I get this haircut for free? I'm a pastor. That makes me so mad. I'm like, do you want them to know who Jesus is? Or do you want them to see you as a stinking cheapskate? Makes me mad. Pay for your stuff, dude. It's okay. It's okay when you show up on the streets of Mexico and you know they're ripping you off and you offer them less than what they're asking for. Sometimes a little barter is okay. But when people look at you and you're nothing but a person who never wants to pay what somebody asks. Okay, I had, a, I had some kids the other day deliver some wood to my porch. Was it the kind of wood that I wanted? No. Was it the amount that I thought I should have got? No. But you know what I did? I paid them what they asked. I need them to know that there's more than just getting a good deal on wood. Because there may be a day when these little knuckleheads ask me a more important question, and if I tried to rip them off or swindle them out of what they delivered on my porch for wood, that'll stick with them. Pay a fair price. How about this one? Romans, good idea. Pay your debts. 
Romans 13, 8. Don't owe anyone anything. I could just stop there, right? Don't owe anyone anything except love. That's the only debt that you really have to people. As God says, you're in debt to people to love them. All right, I'm going to say this, and I don't know how many toes I'm going to step on, but I'm going to say it. Christians should not declare bank bankruptcy. I'm going to say it. I don't know how many I don't know how many people I just hit in the gut. I'm telling you, you should pay your debts. My sister, I love her. She struggled with this. Me and my wife have thought about this. We've thought about it. We got bills up to our eyeballs. Let's just do what everybody else does. Let's just go bankrupt, and then we'll have the slate wiped clean, and then somebody else gets to inherit our bills. It's a temptation. God wants you to be known as people that pay your bills. Bad idea. Cheating people out of what you owe them. So James in here says you look at somebody and they need something or they're owed something and you don't pay them what they deserve. He refers to day laborers here. In other words, he says, look, you've withheld money from workers who did work for you. They mowed your fields. Okay, so day laborers is a little different for us. These were people that were going out and working for food that day. In other words, if they did not get a job and they did not get hired, there is no food to eat that day. That's, who's, that's who James is talking about. People who would hang around on the corner, you would swing by in your truck and you would say, you want to come and work for me today? And they would hop in your truck and they would go to work and they would make money that day to feed their family that day. That's who James is referring to. People who are relying on a paycheck and you are the person that can pay them. And he says that sometimes it's as serious as death. If somebody needs day to day to day to day to get food, I don't know if that guy in Fort Worth I don't know if he'd ate that day. I don't know if he'd ate five times that day. But God put him on my plate and said, buy this guy a meal. That might have, I don't know if that was his only meal for the whole week. I don't know. He didn't even do any work for me. I could, there's so many ways I could get out of buying that guy a meal. I'll pass that one up. Here's what God says. And this, this hit me pretty square. And it was the end of verse 4. And he says, Their cries has, they've reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. Do you know what that term means? Lord of hosts? It means Lord of armies. He's a, he's a general. So he's, he's commanding an army behind him. So here he is, he's standing, and behind him are, is an army. And what are they watching? What are they watching? They're watching how you treated somebody who was needy. 
That's what God says you don't see behind the deaf guy in Chick-fil-A is I'm standing behind this guy who you don't know and you don't know if he's a Christian and you don't know if he's lost and I'm standing behind him with my army saying buy him a meal or so help me. <laughs> I got a whole army that's going to humble you, John Foster. That's what hit me. Now, do I stop at every person that holds up a cardboard sign and give them money? I don't. I don't. But there are times when God pokes on my heart and says something, and I respond. Verse 5. You've lived luxuriously. Luxury. What we do with our money matters. All right. I'm going to do good idea, bad idea on this again. Good idea. It's okay to enjoy a good sandwich. <laughs> You're like, where are you going with this? I'll tell you where I'm going with this. In John chapter 2, Jesus was at a wedding, and they ran out of wine. And somebody came to him and says, we're out of wine. Can you fix this? And Jesus said, not really. It's not my time yet. And then his mom gets into the picture. And you never tell your mom no, right? And his mom walks into the picture and she says, Jesus. And he's like, all right, I'll do this. And he makes some wine. And did he make a substandard wine? No, as a matter of fact, he made the wine that everybody else was like, you just, why are you saving the good stuff for the last? Here's what I got out of that. Jesus is okay if you enjoy something. And he's okay if you get something that is a high standard or good quality. Let me give you another example. In Matthew 14, he fed the 5,000. Did he feed them just enough to get them by? Did he say, that's enough for you to get home and then fix yourself a proper meal? Is that what Jesus did? No, he fed them until they could not eat anymore. In other words, Jesus opened up a buffet, right, of crackers and pickled fish and said, eat until you are full. Jesus didn't say, we just sit here and we just settle for poor standard after poor standard after poor standard. He says it's okay to have some stuff. Proverbs 3, honor the Lord with your possessions and the first produce of your entire harvest. So it's giving the idea that we have stuff. Then he says in 10, and your barns will be filled, and your vats will overflow with wine. You see, God's not against us going out and spending a little money on something that we see as nice. Bad idea. Living high on the hog. All right, that's an old person phrase, right? Yep. Living high on the hog. You guys even know where that phrase comes from? Living high on the hog? Okay, so here's my neighbor raises pigs. Here's what living high on the hog is. You go down and you want to buy some meat, you only buy the most expensive meat, and you leave everything else for all the people that can't afford it. So when I was growing up, the butcher used to give away chicken wings. Does anybody, old, anybody remember have that happen to you? 
We used to go to Geefman's supermarket. This is in Iowa. This isn't like down the road somewhere. You're like, Geefman's, where'd you grow up? You know, Russia? No. So I grew up in Iowa, first eight years of my life. I remember going to Geefman's. I remember going to the butcher. We were poor, family of six, mom, dad, four kids. And I remember going in there. And I remember my mom, like, trying to get meat for our family. And so she would get whatever the butcher was going to sell very cheaply or give away. And they used to give chicken wings away. I know you're thinking, chicken wings? I know I'm thinking that too, because, you know, that's one of my major food groups. Chicken wings, donuts, and ribs. Salad is not on my food pyramid at all. But here's, here's my point, is I, I don't ever remember my mom ever, ever, ever bringing home steak. Not one time in all my life do I remember sitting down and eating steak. There were times we got hamburger. And if we got hamburger, it was like spread out in a casserole. My wife knows me and casseroles are not good buddies. And you know why? Because that's all I ate growing up was casserole. Green bean casserole, pass. Tater tot casserole, hard pass. Here's the deal. I've grown up now. And I think there's some times I feel like I'm living pretty high on the hog. In other words, when I get an option to buy something, what am I thinking about when I go to buy it? Do you, do you realize that merchants today, people who sell crap, do you realize that they have thought this out? How can we get people to think that our product is a luxury item they can't do without? So I looked up, I looked up what the luxury index was. This is what they all go by. You're like, luxury index? Here it is. Get this. If you're going to make a luxury product, here's what you keep in mind. Quality. How's it built? Distinctiveness. What kind of brand name does it have on it? Does this make sense? My daughter just went out and bought a pair of Jordans. Yeah, okay. Status. If you got it, does it show that you've made it? Like when you roll up in that kind of a car, the people say, mmm, boy. What, what do they do for a living? Ex exclusivity, is it one of a kind? Like, is there only five of these made in the world and I got one? What about timeliness? Does it have a good resale value? You ever bought something like that? Yeah? What kind of resale value does this thing got? It's all junk. <laughs> There's no resale value in James anywhere. It says it's a pile of trash. It doesn't matter what the brand name is. Okay, we'll keep going. Feel good factor. So if you own it, will you feel better about yourself? Uh, is it a members only? Like, can you only get it if you are some special kind of person? Hey, here's what I did. When I read that index, this is what I came up with. You only buy something luxurious for two reasons, in my opinion. This is why I wrote them down. Number one, you like showing off. Uh, or number two, you think you deserve it. Am I right? Is that, is that pretty much why you buy something luxury? And in, in other words, when it comes to buying a watch, and you can buy a $500 watch, or you can buy a $20 watch, if I wear this watch, 
Is somebody going to look at it and say, dude, that is a sweet timepiece? Or do you look at it and say, I'm worth that? I think this is who James wants us to think about. It's okay to have a nice sandwich or to buy something that you think is quality. But what you want to watch out for is indulging yourself in a luxurious lifestyle that you have no clue what's coming. And what does he say in verse 5? You fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. This is crazy to me. People who live a luxurious lifestyle or, or lifestyle and they just want nothing but luxury, they're like a cow going to the slaughter. Does the cow have any idea that's where you're taking them that day? I don't know. Tell me. Do they know? While they're out there eating grass and getting fat, are they thinking to themselves, with every bite, I, I become a little bit more ripe for the butcher? No, they don't. This is what James says rich people will do to drown out God's words in their ears and blind them. Is you're like a fattened cow going to the butcher. And, and then I stop and I think to myself, why? Do I envy this kind of lifestyle? Why do I struggle with it? Why do I still struggle with it? Why is it when I show up to school and I, I've got some watch on and some kid says, hey, that's a nice watch. And then I look at him and I said, actually, I, my wife bought it at Fossil for like 20 bucks. And they're like, really? Why do we struggle with that? Why are we so connected to our bank accounts? Verse 6. How you view about your money may be as serious as murder. And here's what, here's what I think he's, see, he's saying from this. People who work for money that day and you don't pay them right might have been their last meal that they could have got. I think he might be also talking about bribery. I mean, goodness gracious, if you're rich and can afford it, you can go into court and you can win any battle. But I will tell you this. You take somebody who's controlled by greed and they won't care who they run over to get money. They won't. You can't be that way. You can't be that way. I'm about to wrap this up. I have a nice house. I'm going to tell you that right now. I've got a nice house. As a matter of fact, I think me and my wife could probably downsize. It's got a lot of room in it. My kids aren't around very much anymore. I've got a nice house. What good is my house if it's never a home? You get the difference? A lot of dads out there want to give their families the nicest thing that they can possibly give them. It's good to provide for your family, but if you go out and you work your fingers to the bone and you provide them with a beautiful house, but if it's never a home because you're not in it, what good was that? What good is a nice car? I've got a nice car. I'll tell you that right now. I've got a nice car. I mean, it's got a rebuilt salvage title on it, but it's nice. Probably the nicest car we've ever driven. It's the one I drove here today. Just put $600 of tires on it, driving out here on the highway, and there's a shake in the steering wheel. Does that, does that make anybody else here mad? Of 
course it does. Let me say this to you. What good is my car if it never takes me to church or never picks anybody else up and takes them to church? My wife probably has the worst marriage proposal on record, period. If you ever want to hear her tell about it, she'll, she'll tell you how awful it was. It's terrible. I'm not going to tell you the story because I'm not going to sit here and run myself into the ground. I'll let my wife fill that gap. But there was a day when my mom said, have you gotten that girl a ring yet? And I said, I have not. And she got mad at me. And we were, I can remember standing in the kitchen and she goes, how much money do you have in your bank account? And I told her and she goes, you go and take as much of that out as you can right now and you go buy her a ring. And I said, okay. And about five minutes later, she says, you got your shoes on yet? And I said, no, but they are getting on. And we went down to service merchandise. I don't know if you're old enough to figure that one out, but we went down to service merchandise and I bought uh, the most, the, the, I bought whatever wedding set I could buy. I'm not even sure. I, they said there was a diamond in it somewhere. It was teeny tiny. But this is what I remember. is When I gave that ring to my bride-to-be, she was thankful and excited. And it was one of the crappiest rings probably that service merchandise had. What good is whatever you spend on a ring if there's no love behind it. Stuff really doesn't matter. Your relationship with people matter. You know, a few, a few years back, uh, many years, my grandpa died, and we were at my grandma's house, and it was time to get rid of all of her stuff. It was time to have an auction. And so me and my brother and the siblings came down to help my dad do it because if the auction service did it, they were going to charge her like $5,000 or something like that. And she didn't, I mean, she didn't have that much stuff, but I'm thinking, man, that's money my grandma could just keep, you know. And so we went down and we helped out. And of course, you know, my dad, he's looking at it like this is all my inheritance. I'm going to do whatever I want with it. And I remember going through and we, we would find gems, you know, and I remember my dad pulled out this little single shot 22, and he starts telling me story after story about this single shot 22. Yeah, me and, the, me and my buddies used to ride around in so-and-so's car, and we, we, you know, the top was down, we were in the back seat, and we just drive through shooting stuff, and I'm like, man, can you imagine that today? I'm like, dad, that, that's called drive-by shootings? Kids do that with paintballs today, and they go to jail. And he's like, yeah, it was a different time then. I'm, I'm like, yeah. He tells me story after story about this 22 gun. And he's like, this thing's worth money. Like he's going on and on about it. It gets in the auction, goes for like 50 bucks. So I looked that gun up. It's about a $600 gun. But what was my dad's connection to it? Was it, it was a $600 gun? It was the dudes he rode around with and used it with. My grandma, 
she uh, had some really expensive crystal. Crazy expensive. So we're, I'm like, Grandma, is this, you want this to go in the auction? She's like, yeah. Put it in the auction. Put it in the auction. Put it in the auction. And then we get to this old ratty quilt that my Aunt Edith made her. And we're like, what about this? She's like, no. That is not going in. And I'm like, it's just an old ratty quilt. She goes, you're Aunt Edith. And she tells me the story about it. And I walked away from that auction thinking this. If I ever get to a point in my life where I'm clutching onto things instead of people, I have missed God's purpose of blessing my life with stuff. How about I finish here instead of telling you stories? Why does James take this moment to tell us about how God feels about the rich? And this is what I took to heart. Don't long for that kind of lifestyle because it doesn't last. And when it does end and God comes back, His value on what we earned is not going to be His value. Our value is not going to be His. Work towards riches in heaven. Two last questions I want you to think about and then I'll close. When Jesus returns, are you going to be made poor or are you going to be made rich? Time and time again, Jesus says in his scripture that many will be made poor and humbled because they went through life carrying just about financial achievement and some kind of material status. But Jesus says, few of you are going to be made rich, exalted, because you realize your life is not about making yourself look good. It's not about having some kind of fame or notoriety out of your pocketbook or what you can write in your check. That you see it as a Christian is somebody who really does put their money where their mouth is. And when Jesus shows up and digs deep into your spiritual wallet, that he finds he's there and not a dollar bill. Is it time that you reevaluate who is in your wallet rather than what is in your wallet? Last week we talked about making God a part of your plans, make God a part of your money. Who is in your wallet? Not what's in your wallet, who's in there? Do you regularly honor God with your tithe and offerings? Is there something this year you're going to save up for that has nothing but spiritual consequences? I've got friends that spend thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars on making their kid a better athlete. But then when I say, hey, will your kid go on a mission trip with me? You know what they say? I don't know if we got the time or the money. Give God a little bit of time this morning. As Sandra comes and plays a song for us, this is an opportunity you have to put yourself before 
the king who could give you everything that you could possibly ever want and tell him that you're content with what you have. That's what you can do today. Maybe you can uh, bow your head before him today and you can say, God, you've blessed me with this much money or this amount of possessions. God, is there something I can do with it other than just sitting on it? Maybe you can ask him that. Let's close in prayer. God, this morning, I have tried to represent your word about what we do with the money that you allow to come into our lives. God, I've tried to, um, I've tried to do it with a loving heart, but God, sometimes I, I run short on that, and I ask that uh, you forgive me of that. God, help us to uh, put you on the throne in our lives so that we can find the money that you give us, just another way to worship you. God, help us to be wise with what you give us. Know when we should be content and know when we should spend this much or that much. God, we just need to be smart about it, and we just need to be wise. God, keep us humble so that there's never a moment in our lives where we look around at the stuff that we've accumulated and find it a source of pride. God, this morning we appreciate the price that you paid so that we could call you our Lord and Savior. God, we appreciate that you gave all that you had away and became very poor so that you could exalt us to a status that we don't deserve. We pray these in your Son, Jesus Christ's name. Amen. From Tiffin Baptist Church, thank you for listening to this sermon. Our Sunday service starts at 1045, and we'd love to have you join us.